Our text this afternoon is Revelation 16, the verses 1 through 9. Revelation 16, 1 through 9. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you gave them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Brothers and sisters, I have to tell you that I forgot my sermon this afternoon, so I have nothing in front of me which makes me a little bit nervous. And we'll just see how well I remember my sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we read the passage together, no doubt some very stirring questions were raised in your mind. Like, why is God so angry? Why are his punishments so severe? And where is the love of God in all of this? I promise you these are questions that will be raised throughout the sermon and addressed and answered to the best of our ability so that we get some peace and insight into these important questions. But there is another question that comes to mind, and and it's important because it, it addresses the overall structure and understanding of our text. And that question is whether these plagues, these bulls being dumped out by the angels on the earth, whether those plagues are to be taken literally or symbolically. For instance, when the second bowl is dumped on the sea or poured out on the sea, and the sea turns to blood like that of a dead man, do we take that literally? That's not an easy question because history hasn't ended yet, so who knows what all will happen in the future before Christ returns. At the same time, there are many strong indications that tell us why we ought to take this symbolically. We know that the whole chapter which deals with the seven bowls, just like the seven trumpets and the seven seals, cover the entire history between the first and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We also know that the sea has not yet turned to blood like that of a dead man. And we know, as Christ said, that he could return at any time. 
Now, if you took our text literally and say Christ cannot return until first the sea turns blood red, turns to blood like that of a dead man, then, then you are saying the world cannot end yet. And that goes against everything that Scripture teaches us. There's a strong reason to think that when our text says the sea will turn to blood like that of a dead man, that is to be taken symbolically. As so much of Revelation is to be taken symbolically. Even angels holding bowls and pouring those bowls out, that's a symbolism for the truth that God sends his angels to bring judgment on the earth. But we do not literally say they take a bowl and drop that on the earth. And when we talk about symbolism, we're not trying to say that the text is not as harsh as it sounds. That's not the point at all. We're talking here about universal, global punishment. We're talking about economic disasters, plagues, diseases, and even death itself. And do we not see that? Do we not see the the sea turning to blood whenever a ship sinks? a submarine is lost at sea and it goes to the bottom of the sea with all hands on deck? How many shipwrecks, how many thousands and thousands of people lie dead at the bottom of the sea? And there are areas of the sea where fish don't, don't live anymore because they have been depleted by the greed of man or because of toxic waste. And we see the sea turning violent with every cyclone, with every tsunami, with every hurricane, and the death and destruction that it brings. When we look at our text this afternoon, and we look at the plagues, we take them symbolically, but in the symbolism, we see it's very real, the harsh judgments that God brings on our world. And what it does, brothers and sisters, if we work with this and we try to understand this, we get an understanding of our world, which is so insightful. You can go through life, and you can choose to ignore all kinds of things. You have Hurricane Katrina. You say, that was a pretty serious hurricane, wasn't it? And you got the tsunami that a few years ago, around Christmas time, a quarter of a million people died, and you say, wow. That's really serious stuff, people dying. Good thing I wasn't there. Then you're missing the point. But you're missing the point is understanding history and having a a world vision and understanding which is so important for us as Christians. To understand that everything that happens in this world is not by chance, but by God's fatherly hands. And he is also bringing severe judgments on this world for a specific purpose. And if you understand that, you'll understand a lot about history, you'll understand your place in it, and it will bring you to greater comfort and dedication to God. Going through our text is not like, unlike a ship sailing through an ocean of icebergs. You would say, hit any one of them and you sink. But if you have a map, if you have a spiritual GPS to guide you through all those icebergs, you will make it safely to the harbor of understanding and comfort and the Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us very much. We will look at that this afternoon, brothers and sisters, under this theme. God pours out the bowls of wrath and judgment on those who have stubbornly hardened their hearts against Him. And we will look at the reason for God's judgment and the nature of God's judgment. First of all, the reason. 
Now we read in the opening of our text, Then I heard a loud voice from, from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. Now that immediately connects us with the previous chapter 15, which we read, where we read that the seven angels came out of the temple, that's the heavenly temple, and they received charge by one of the living creatures to bring the bowls of God's wrath on this earth. Now again, in our text, there is a voice from the temple that says to the angels, Go, bring those bowls of wrath and plagues on the earth. So we understand one thing. Whatever's happening in our text comes from God himself. He gives the order. He commissions these angels. The plagues that we are about to, to hear about, that is from God. He gives the order. He wants this to come on the earth. And it's also made very clear why God wants these judgments to come. As we read, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on earth. These are bowls of wrath. It's the reason for the judgments of our God. The word for wrath here in our text in Greek is actually very interesting. It's wrath that speaks of smoldering, smoking, simmering, boiling wrath. This is not God who has an anger management problem. problem. It's not a a knee-jerk reaction This has been simmering. God has been stewing and his wrath has been growing. And we see that in the light of the entire book of Revelation. Here we got the seven bowls. Back in chapter 8, you have the seven trumpets. And 6, the seven seals. And when the seven seals are open, judgments come on the world and affect one quarter of it. When the seven trumpets are blown, then judgments come on the world and one third of the world is affected. And what you see in those chapters is that when God brings judgments on this world, things happen. He is, of course, punishing the wicked. But he's also testing us to strengthen our faith, faith, and he's trying to, to rattle the world. Our God brings trouble in this world to shake it up. you got an unbelieving person here in Edmonton. He gets cancer. He's in the Cross Cancer Institute. He might die. That's from God to shake him awake, to stir him up, to see God, and to repent and have his life right, to have his life in order. But what is happening is that there are many people who hear the gospel, who feel the judgments of God, and don't care, don't repent, don't make things right with God. And so God's Anger and wrath is smoldering and it is smoking. As we even read in the opening verse of chapter 15, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. God has had it up to here. His wrath is full-orbed. His wrath is about to be poured out in this world like it has never been poured out before because people stubbornly hardened their hearts against him. And so, brothers and sisters, we look at that a little more carefully. We try to grasp how, in our text, we are to understand that the wrath of God has smoldered and smoked and now has just boiled right over. 
How is it possible? Well, our text is very careful in explaining why God is so upset. For instance, with the first bowl, in verse 2 we read there that when that bowl was poured out, ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. That's why God is so upset. That's why he pours out his judgment. People have the mark of the beast and they worship his image. And then we read with the third angel in verse 5 and 6 why the, the bowl of wrath is poured out on the rivers because they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. God is angry at a world which persecutes his church. And then finally we read with the fourth angel in verse 8, they were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. After all that God has done, people continue to refuse to repent and believe in him. One thing that has been made clear throughout studies on the book of Revelation is how God has given man so many rich opportunities to know him. Every human being on the face of this earth knows God and knows he exists. Paul writes that in Romans 1. He says, everybody knows God. Everybody knows him. So many people have also heard the gospel. Has any one of you ever met a person who never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before? Have you? I never have. Everybody has heard the gospel that we know. By and large, our world has been confronted with the good news of Jesus Christ and called to repent and believe in him. Moreover, the whole world has felt the heaviness of the hand of God. With all the trials and tribulations of life, you have to wonder why people don't seek a greater peace. We mentioned that person in the Cross Cancer Institute perhaps dying of cancer. We think of people who in their family have a a horrific accident and somebody's all broken up and lying in hospital. We think of couples with a marriage problem, people with children who are are wandering away and getting to a, a life of alcohol and drugs. How can you not sit down and say, my life is a mess. God is knocking on the door of my life telling me to get on my knees before him and confess my sins and to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But people don't do it. In our world, people know God, they know the gospel, they feel God working on their lives, and they steadfastly reject him and they curse him. And we see that all the time, brothers and sisters. There are people in our own country who grow up in a Christian church so one man in particular that I think of, he was, he was said to be the, the replacement for Billy Graham until he had horrific trouble in his own family, with his own daughter, and he cursed God and said, how can there be a God who would allow such suffering to come into my family and into the life of my daughter? You know, there's a story I could share with you of a survivor from a plane crash. When it was told that the plane was going to crash, 
He expected that there would be some hysteria and fright, but at the same time, that people would calm down, they'd write a will, write a love letter to their wife or husband, that's the last message that might get out, and then pray to God. I mean, they're about to meet their maker. They're about to, to enter, shall we say, eternity. But to his amazement, people got angry and they cursed God. They were plunging to their death and they damned God. They hated him that much. That's the reality of the world in which we live, brothers and sisters. And not only do people hate God and turn their back on him, but they, they persecute the church throughout the ages. Not just thousands, but millions of men and women, boys and girls, Christians, have lost their jobs, lost their freedom, lost their lives. Think of Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith. Their blood ran like water because of the hatred of our world. Now God watches that. Here is God who so loved the world, he gave his only son to die for sinners. God who makes sure that the whole world knows he exists. God who sends out his gospel. God who is trying to shake up the world and wake them up. And they hate him. And they reject him. And they even persecute his church. No wonder the wrath of God is burning against them. And he brings judgments upon them. Our God is not to be mocked. You mock him and you deal with an angry God. Now, brothers and sisters, we all know that this is a, a, a proper interpretation of our text. It's faithful. It's true. But that doesn't mean we like what we hear. I mean, how many people don't struggle with, with the concept of an angry God? A God whose wrath is simmering and boiling over. And the judgments of God. And, then, and don't tell me about hell, people say. I don't want to talk about hell and the lake of fire. Keep that out of the discussion. That sounds so Old Testamentic. God of the Old Testament, the God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament is the God of love who sent his Son. What a misunderstanding of Scripture that is. If there was ever a person who emphasized the justice and the wrath of God, it is our Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said he's coming with fire. And he didn't just mean the fire of, of the Holy Spirit, but the fire of judgment. Christ says, I long for the day that fire and judgment can come. And how often didn't he talk warning people about not being ready so that they are cast into hell where they will weep and gnash their teeth and gnaw their tongue eternally. You want to talk about Jesus Christ? Well, that's beautiful. And you want to talk about the love of God? Of course you're going to talk about that. But you simply are not allowed to divorce that from the justice and the wrath of God. Our God is a holy God who loves those who turn to him but is furious. Disappointed but also furious with those who resist the gospel, who hate him and persecute his church. We need to understand, brothers and sisters, how the God of love can also be a God of justice and judgment. And our text is scrupulously careful in making us understand this point. For instance, we read in verse 5 that the angel says, you are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. Then in verse 7 we read, 
And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So you have the angel saying God is just, and you have the altar saying God is just. He is righteous, he is true, he has justice. Now that altar is a very interesting point. What is that altar all about? And that goes back to chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 where we read, He opened the fifth seal, and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out with a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So, so the altar in our text is the altar in heaven where the martyrs are. The men and the women, the teenagers, the boys and the girls who took up their cross and followed Jesus and suffered for it, even lost their lives for it, are in heaven right now praying to God, how long before you avenge our blood? God, be just. Be holy. Deal with those who hate you. Deal righteously with those who blaspheme you and persecute your church. What we have to understand here, brothers and sisters, is the the justice of God. You know, there's a tendency to see the justice of God in a very one-sided fashion. You hear God is just, you hear about the justice of God, then you say, angry God, punishing God, God who sends people to hell. But that's not justice. The justice of God is that he is fair. He treats people fairly. And that started there in paradise when God created Adam and Eve and he said to them, I will be your God. He meant it. And he was fair. And he was honest. He was going to give Adam and Eve every blessing they could possibly imagine to keep them in fellowship with him. And then that tree of the knowledge of good and evil also emphasizes the justice of God and the truth of God God was saying to Adam and Eve, see, I hate sin and I hate evil. And we're going to keep that far away, aren't we? We're going to keep sin and evil far away because I want to live with you in sweet fellowship for eternity. Our God is so just that when Adam and Eve did fall into sin and they deserved death and they deserved the fires of hell, God loved them so much that he said, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my son into the world to become man, to take your sins upon himself, to take your curse, and I will send him to the open doors of hell. When we talk about a just God, when we talk about the justice of God, see how deep is his love. For us, brothers and sisters, so deeply did he love us. So much did he want us to be free from all sin and evil. So much did he want us to live with him eternally in perfect joy. He gave his son. He gave his son and exposed him to sin and to evil and the the fires of hell itself. And that's why anyone who knows God and who has heard the gospel who has heard the well-meant gospel offer, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Whoever hears that and rejects it, 
Well, the justice of God will do what is fair and what is right and bring punishment on that person. You know, brothers and sisters, when we read the book of Revelation and we read about these judgments and these punishments, we read about the lake of fire, which is hell itself, where people will gnash their teeth and weep eternally. Don't you dare try to play God. Don't you dare try to change him. He is holy. He's righteous. He's true. He does what's right. He does what's fair. And what he says to you, my brothers and sisters, is that though you deserve to go to hell for all your sins, I love you so much. I gave my son to die for you, to wash away your sins, to cause you to be born again, and to make you my child for life everlasting. Hear that and embrace the justice and the love of God. It is an awesome thing. That brings us to our second and our final point where we are dealing with the nature of God's wrath. And this afternoon we deal with the first four of the seven bowls. The four bowls are described in this way. We read of the first bowl, ugly and painful sores broke on the people. The second one is the the blood like that of a dead man was poured on the sea and every living thing in the sea died. Third one, angel poured his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. And in the fourth bowl was poured out on the sun and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. And they were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God. Now, these four plagues are quite similar to the plagues of the seven trumpets and the plagues of Egypt in the time of the Exodus. What you notice is that it affects Every aspect of life, man on earth, the sea, the rivers and springs, and the constellation system, even outer space, it's all affected, it's all God's creation, and it's turned topsy-turvy. The sores that break out on man, they can be literal sores and diseases. We have some pretty horrific ones in our world. You think of the Ebola plague and what happened with that. You have leprosy, cancer, you have AIDS. These are things that are destroying the human body. They are judgments of God on an unbelieving world that has hardened his heart against God. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. God created the human body so that it could exist eternally. A million years, a billion years is nothing for the human body. It was made to live that, to live eternally. Now you can't even get a hundred years out of the the human body. You can't even get a hundred years out of it. Or if, If you do, you're not doing very well. The human body is being destroyed. It's falling to the ground like a worn out tent. The second plague, the second bull with the second angel pours the bowl out on the seas and it turns to blood like that of a dead man. Now the blood of a dead man is an awful thing to see. The language here speaks of murder, of violence, of despicable crime. We're talking about violence being done to the sea and how destructive it is. 
throughout our world, there are countless shipwrecks. Many, many bodies, many human lives lost to the sea and lying there. Even their bones are, are turning to dust now. There are areas of the sea which once were teeming with life. But it has been, it has been stripped bare by the greediness of men or by pollution and toxic waste. We have horrific storms, a tsunami, hurricane, a cyclone. The terrible destruction that that brings. The oceans were created by God for life and for commerce. And our world is being deeply affected. People are starving. Businesses are lost because it's not going well on the high seas of our earth. The bowl poured out in the streams and springs. Well, brothers and sisters, you know how the Bible speaks about springs. It's even a an image used for springs of living water. A spring, a stream, gives life. It gives water. But in our world, there are streams that go dry and people thirst. And then a storm comes along and it, it becomes a violent stream and it, and it kills everything in its way. Or you look at the streams in Indonesia, in India, in Pakistan, in Vietnam. How many of them are, are so horribly polluted and, and people, they wash themselves in that stream, they drink the water of that stream and they get sick. That which promised life is death to mankind. And then there's the fourth one where the sun is affected. You know that, that the Bible speaks of the sun as a huge blessing from God. It gives us warmth. It gives light. It gives life. You, you need the sun for life itself. But in some places of our world, the sun burns so hotly, you can't even live there anymore. It has changed our earth. It has changed certain patterns. It brings skin cancer. Sun is bringing destruction into our world. These, brothers and sisters, are the judgments of God on our world, a world which has hardened itself against God. And there's, of course, always an opening for repentance. You know, until the last day of the world, there's still always opportunity to hear the gospel and to repent and know the joy of salvation. But our world is being ripened for the full day of God's wrath, where people who have rejected God will burn eternally in the lake of fire. Amazingly, our text says that they were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Our world knows that God exists. Our world knows what God is doing with diseases, with our oceans, with our streams, and with the sun itself. The world knows, but it doesn't care. And it curses God. And then, the ultimate indignity turns, it, turns his back on God and says God doesn't even exist. All the troubles in this world are not to be attributed to God because he doesn't really exist. The troubles in this world, they are of our own making. You all know of the conference that's been going on in Bali during the past week. Great environmental concerns about our world, of global warming. And it's flatly stated, man is doing that. Never mind that temperatures have been fluctuating and waters have been rising and falling for centuries and for millennia. Man ignores that and says it's our problem and we need to deal with it. 
Now, we don't want to say that we're not concerned about our world and our environment. We have to be good stewards of God's creation. But if when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, when a tsunami ripped open the the Indian Ocean and killed over a quarter of a million people, if you refuse to acknowledge that that is the hand of God, if you refuse to acknowledge that that is God's judgment, then what hope is there for you? You don't even see God is there. You don't even feel his justice. So how are you ever going to become ripe for the gospel to repent and to be saved? Of course, one of the questions that arises in all of this is, don't these judgments of God also fall on us? And the answer is, of course they do. We get skin cancer. We can get a horrible disease. We can be in a traffic accident and and die young or see people in our family in accidents. There are some Christians in our world who experience horrific things. This afternoon you have three of our Sudanese brothers in our midst. One of them, Jenny, joined Providence Congregation this morning. And Matut and Madhu are sitting there as well. They come from Sudan. They've come from a world you can't even imagine, a world of civil war, a world without medical care, without jobs, without food, a world where four million people have been displaced and two million people have been murdered. That befalls even the life of a Christian. And we understand that. It is a broken world. We live in the valley of the shadow of death. But we also understand that when God brings us into the life of a Christian, what he is doing is he's testing our faith and he's strengthening our faith. He causes us to lift up our eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let my foot be moved. He will not let the sun smite me by day nor the moon by night. He watches over us so that no harm will befall us. You know, Christians can experience hard and horrific things in their lives, but they don't experience it in the same way and for the same reason as an unbeliever. When a believer has a hard time, he looks to God, is strengthened in faith, and looks forward to a better day. But the unbeliever curses God. He hates God all that much more and turns his back on him. And in the hardening of his heart, the wrath of God is brought out in full measure against that person. Brothers and sisters, when we go through the book of Revelation, we see and we understand that it is a brutal world in which we live. So much of our world hates God. So much of our world hates the church. Here in our, in our own community, you hear all all the time, how much hatred and mockery there is for people who believe in the Bible as the infallible Word of God. And how much harm has been done to Christians throughout the ages and still being done today. But are you afraid? Are you ready to give up? Do you think that the race of life is lost because the world hates you so much and the world is so strong? You know what our Lord Jesus Christ is showing to us, especially in these final chapters of Revelation? 
He says, I have worked so much with this world, and it has rejected me, and I am angry. And I will punish the world. I will dismantle the power of Satan, the two beasts, the false prophet of Babylon, and of the whole world. This world is going down. So don't you dismay. Don't you falter in the race of life. But look to me. Trust in me. Continue the journey of serving me. I'll bring you through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't be afraid. And I will bring you to the eternal wedding feast of the Lamb. And don't forget, every day that God allows you is not only a day to serve Him, but it's a day to reach out to the world round about. The world has made God angry. The world has made God's wrath simmer and boil over and just plain old smoke away. And yet God has put us in this world still to reach out to our fellow man who hates God so much. Bring the gospel. There still may be ripe opportunities to bring people to Christ that the wrath of God turns to an overwhelming love and grace. It doesn't matter who you are in this world or what you have done, but if you get on your knees before Jesus and confess your sins, they will all be washed away and you will be right with God. It's an amazing journey that we are on here in this world, brothers and sisters. We're walking through no more, a life that is no more than a constant death. But isn't it amazing? With all the trials and the tribulations, with all the trouble and strife that is in our world, we know that God is with us. And our journey will bring us one day to meet our Lord Jesus Christ face to face to wipe away every tear from our eyes and bring us into a new world of peace, of the perfect love, of a justice of God who says, I will give you everything for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Amen.